Well, this morning, I am so glad to get back into the Word. How many are glad to get back in the Word this morning? I hope, man, I, I hope that you have been in the Word on your own these last few weeks. That, we, you know, some, some people, uh, we went to service together last week at, at uh, a couple people went to Grandview. Some people went elsewhere. Uh, but, you know, as Christians, we're not just called to get fed on Sunday mornings, right? We're not just called to get fed by the pastor. We're called to feed ourselves. Amen? That means reading the Bible for ourselves. It means praying for ourselves. That's part of what we are called to do as Christians. So this last few weeks, they haven't been the greatest. They've been, I mean, I've missed church family, but I am glad to be back this morning. Amen? Are you glad to be back? Are you glad to be back? That's not good enough. Are you glad to be back? See, that was better than you got, honey. My wife said, fix my shirt. I don't know why. She gave me a sign that said, fix my shirt. I guess there's something wrong with it. Anyway, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Things that happen live. Amen. Listen, so the last time we, we broke, uh, it was, man, the last, we had uh, oh, Mike... Bond. I keep saying Bond or Bond, but Mike Bond was here three weeks ago. We haven't had service together for at least two weeks. This is the third week, really. Um, but the last time I preached a message was a month ago. So it was a month ago that I preached the message on Revelation. We looked at Revelation 17, and so we're going to continue in our series on Revelation. My hope and prayer, Bobby, is that I can finish up the series of Revelation before Palm Sunday. That, that's the goal. That is the goal. Let's see if I get there. Amen? Listen, so uh, what we started looking into in Revelation 17 was the beginning of what we call the two Babylons. Now, I'm not going to re-preach the entire message this morning because it's online. If you want to watch it, you're more than welcome to. But considering it was four weeks ago, let me give you a refresher on where we stand. So in Revelation chapter 16, if you go all the way back there, we came, in, we came to an end of the wrath of God. Remember uh, the judgments? How many remember what the judgments were? We had the seal judgments, we had the trumpet judgments, and then we had the bowl judgments. The bowl judgments. All three judgments revealed two things. They revealed God's holiness, and they revealed God's grace. Amen? They did. The judgments are bleak and brutal but you can't miss the grace that accompanies them because he continually gives those who are still on the earth at that time an opportunity to reach out to him. Amen? Amen. Before we get started in the message, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the message this morning. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share it live in person with church family. Lord, we're so thankful for how blessed we have been these last few weeks, even though we have not been together. You have been a blessing to this church and to this body. Lord, we thank you for your continued blessings. We pray for those who may be ill, may be sick, may be infirm this morning. We pray for those who are, are not able to be among us live, but are at home watching online. We pray that they would be among us soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we get to Revelation chapter 17, what we are seeing is not a continuation of the tribulation. 
where we talked about the tribulation timeline. The end of the wrath of God is the end of what we would see as the seven years of tribulation. So then in Revelation 17, which is what we studied a month ago, what we see is a different perspective on what happens during the seven-year tribulation. That's what we see, is a different perspective on it. So chapter 17 shows us the first of the two Babylons. Now, I hope you remember some, if not all, of what the first Babylon represents. Does anybody remember what does the first Babylon represent? Anybody can shout. It's okay. Anybody remember what the first Babylon represents? The first Babylon could be literal cities, right? But it but it's also lends itself to a worldwide system of control, and that control is what we call false religion. False religion. So if you'll remember a few weeks ago, we spoke about the false religion or the false teaching of the Catholic Church, along with some false teachings of the Protestant Church, so the danger of the Catholic Church isn't found in fish dinners and pancake breakfast, right? Those are good things. Fish dinners, pancake breakfast, all good things. But in idolatry, in salvation based on works, in putting our faith on rituals and saints rather than Jesus and the cross, there is danger. Amen? The danger of the Protestant Church isn't found in upbeat worship and lively sermons. The danger of the Protestant church is found in lifting culture over Christ and putting more value in social justice than eternal salvation. That's the danger of the Protestant church. We need a clear understanding that the Babylon we see here is a false religion that is bigger than false Catholic teaching and bigger than false Protestant teaching. It will be a combination of all false religions to promote the idea of unity with the Antichrist as the figurehead. That is the Babylon that we see. In the tribulation timeline, we see this Babylon of false religion rule and reign for about three and a half years before it's destroyed. So if you remember Revelation 17, 16, it says this. It says, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast make, these will make, hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. It's some pretty gruesome, grotesque, strong language that's used. But in it, we see the ten empires will tear down the false religion Babylon and raise up another Babylon entirely ruled over by Antichrist. If you're looking at Revelation and you're looking at uh, the theology of Revelation and what could happen, this is what's happening in that time, middle of the tribulation. So that's where we ended a few weeks ago and where we get to pick up today in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 through 3 says this. After these things, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his glory, or with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. 
For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Say luxury. The first thing we see in chapter 18 is an announcement of victory. Say victory. How many glad to know we have victory? Amen? Amen. Victory is a good thing. John the Revelator tells us that he sees an angel come down. He sees an angel come down from heaven, and the bright glow of glory illuminates the dark earth. The bright glow of glory illuminates the dark desolation of the earth. I was reading some commentaries, and and they, they, they took a minute to examine this. The angel had been in the presence of God. And the presence of God illuminated the angel. That when it came down to the earth, it illuminated the darkness. My question is this. Is the amount of time you spend with the Lord enough to make you illuminated? Does it give off... Do you give off the glory of God? Because you've spent so much time in his presence. You've spent so much time with the light that you become light in the darkness. You walk around and people say there's something different about you. My grandmother lived on her own for a very long time. She was widowed in 1983. And she lived many years after that. And my grandma loved the Lord. She did. I mean, boy, she just, she would spend all day, all night, she would just, she would either be at church or watching Christian television or listening to Christian music and just spending time in the presence of God as much as she could. She was, she was retired. She didn't have to worry about work or kids or anything like that. But she just got to spend time in his presence. I think about how blessed she must have been. Because everywhere she went, it didn't matter if it was the grocery store, it didn't matter if it was the movie rental, it didn't matter if it was the, the beach in Michigan. Anywhere she went, she talked to people about Jesus. I remember being with her in the grocery store, grabbing somebody by the shoulder, pulling at them just a little bit, just, hey, can I tell you something this morning? I remember being with my grandmother at the beach. We'd go camping with her sometimes on the weekends. And we'd be at the beach, and we'd be, her little camper was there, and she'd walk along the beach, and people would be jogging. And she'd say, hey, I have something to tell you. And just a sweet little old woman that loved the Lord, that was full of the glory of God, that was filled with the illumination of his presence. In a dark and dreary world, she was a light. Amen? How many of us are lights in the darkness? Not because of us, but because of Christ. Because of his presence. This angel was a light in the darkness. John sees this angel come down. It's interesting. With excitement in his voice, the angel cries out, Babylon has fallen. 
Amen? That's a good thing. Now the question is this. Is the Babylon in Revelation chapter 18 the same as the Babylon in chapter 17? And the answer is no. Now, some theologians see this differently, but I think most would say that chapter 17 was security based on false religion. The one we see in chapter 18 is security found in the marketplace or found in commerce. Say marketplace, commerce. Now, the truth is that it comes down to interpretation and context. Say context. Context is key, amen? We want to make sure we're reading the Bible in context. Remember, Revelation is filled with both literal and figurative language. The language can be confusing and difficult to comprehend. What we are seeing is just a picture of what John saw. It's just a glimpse of what John saw. But from it, we can see that the Babylon in chapter 18 is different from the Babylon in chapter 17. David Guzik shows us this in his commentary, The Differences. So go to Religious Babylon, chapter 17. The symbol is the harlot woman. This Babylon is identified with Rome or the inland. She's also identified as a woman, a whore, and a mother. You see, that's tough language. That's the Bible. It's going to give it to you straight. She is guilty of religious abominations, this Babylon. She is destroyed by political power, those ten kingdoms that previously supported her. That's religious Babylon, chapter 17. Now go to chapter 18, and we see the commercial Babylon, or the marketplace Babylon. The symbol is that it's a great city. Two, it's identified with a port city or a coastal city. Three, uh, it shows as a habitation, a great city, a marketplace. We've talked about that. Fourth, we see it is guilty of greed and self-indulgence. Five, we see it is destroyed by a sudden act of God. Say sudden. Now, we can look at this and go, great. We can see that between 17 and 18, there are two Babylons. We can see that, Pastor David. Uh, who cares? Who cares? Pastor David, what's the point? I mean, honestly, we, I, mean, I, I get that it's a theological study. I get that we're looking at Revelation. I get that we're going through chapter 17 and 18, and we're looking at the two Babylons. But really, who cares? How in the world does this apply to my life? How in the world does this apply to your life? Because, I mean, listen, this, we're talking about stuff that's going to happen in the future, right? We're talking about stuff that's going to happen at the end of times, right? So if it doesn't affect us now, what do we care? If you remember early on in our study of Revelation, I spoke to you about what or who Revelation is for. I spoke to you about who it's for. We can't just read Revelation for what it means for the church in the future, right? We can't just read it for in the future. But what did it mean for the church when it was written? And what does it mean for us today? Amen? We don't want to know just what it means later. We want to know what, what can it mean for us now? How can it apply to us now? What can we draw from a study on two Babylons, Bobby? About four weeks ago in our study in Revelation 17, 
we were able to look at the dangers of false religion that are alive today. Specifically, we looked at the dangers of false Christianity, right? That's what we did. In chapter 18, we see a different Babylon. This one is sneaky and it's subtle. This Babylon is based in commerce. It's based in goods and materials. It's based in luxury and the lure of worldly prosperity. I wonder, is there any way that we can draw anything from this Babylon? Is there anything that we can look at in our lives? Is there any way that we can relate to this today? Let me put a pin in that for a minute and return to it shortly. We hear the announcement from the angel about the fall of this system, right? And then we see that John hears a voice calling to God's people. And this is what the voice says. Listen to this. Verse 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, say luxuriously. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judges her. Say, strong is the Lord. It's pretty rough stuff. One day, destroyed, burned with fire. Strong is the Lord that judges her. We see this Babylon. We see this system is fallen, and we see why it's fallen. And we see that it falls by the judgment of God. Now, there's two really interesting points to make here. One is this. Most theologians see the first Babylon in Revelation 17 as falling in the middle of tribulation. But this one in Revelation 18 is seen as falling at the end of tribulation. Why this is so interesting to me is what leads to my next point. God is still reaching out for his people even at the end of tribulation. God is still reaching. Remember, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember, God's mercy is always reaching out. Amen? God's mercy is always reaching out. His grace is always stretching towards our hearts. Come out of her, my people. Come out of this Babylon. Come out of the system that destroys. Come out of the system built on things that moths eat and rust destroys. When we put our reliance, our faith, our trust in stuff, I wonder, is there anything about this Babylon we can relate to? Verse 9 says this, The kings of the earth who committed fornication 
and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city of Babylon, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth, listen to this, the merchants of the earth, will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. The Bible then describes in verses 12 through 17 all that's lost in this Babylonian system, or this Babylon system. It describes a few things here. We're not going to go through it verse by verse, but it goes, uh, there's gold, there's silver, there's cattle, there's sheep, there's clothes, there's jewels, and there's stuff. It describes not just selling stuff, but selling people. Slavery and sexual slavery. Selling the bodies and souls of men is what the Bible says. Trafficking in the bodies and souls of people, ships, cargo, all that we hold dear and find security in is brought to an end. I want you to listen to this carefully. All that they hold dear and find security in the marketplace, the commerce, the stuff, the gold, the jewels, the cattle, the sheep is brought to an end. And the people mourn and wail and they cry out in agony over the loss of their stuff. Here's what it says in verse 19. They threw dust on their heads and they cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, that great city. Weeping and wailing. That great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. In one hour she was made desolate. I wonder, can we find anything about this Babylon that's relatable today? Anybody? Can we find anything that's relatable today? Is there anything relevant we can see here, Steve? Is there anything we can apply to use God's principles in our lives? Do you know anybody who is defined by what they own? Do you know anybody who needs the newest, the biggest, and the best? Are they defined by it? I like what this commentary says. It says this. It is conceivable that a true child of God, it is inconceivable, excuse me, it is inconceivable that a true child of God could be part of the, the first Babylon, the religious Babylon, because that's false religion. If you're a true child of God, there's no way you'd get caught up in the first religion, the first false religion, that first Babylon, though elements may creep in. But commercial Babylon, with its materialistic lure, is a constant threat to be guarded against. It is a constant threat to be guarded against. Now, I want to be clear here. I am not preaching that we need to sell off everything we own and live in poverty. That's not what I'm preaching, right, Doug? That wouldn't be in context. That wouldn't be the biblical approach. I'm not preaching that. I know true Christian believers that are extremely wealthy. They have nice things, and they use their resources to bless others. Amen? Somebody say amen. Come on. God has, listen, bless them, bless others around them. God has blessed my family in tremendous ways. God has. God uses us to bless others. 
What we see in this Babylon is not just people who have materials, but people who have been taken over by materials. In Luke 18.25, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Does that mean rich people don't go to heaven? No. Jesus is using a, a form of speech called hyperbole. I love it. I love that word. Say hyperbole. It's one of my favorite words. That and uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism. The longest word there is. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Hyperbole. He was using this speech, and, this tool of speech, and, and it's this. It's an exaggeration for effect. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. This, the question simply is this. Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? Right? Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? That's a tough question. Boy, that's a tough question. Because we look at things and we go, do I really need this? I had to ask myself that question. My wife right now is thinking, there's a TV in our living room. It's a nice TV. And I thought to myself, I really, I was, I was typing this out, and, I, and I'm looking at the, my computer, and I'm looking at the TV, I'm like, oh boy. Mm. But then I thought, I could have gotten a bigger TV, and I didn't. I could have gotten a more expensive TV, and I didn't. I could have gone into debt for a TV, but I didn't. How many ever know someone who's gone into debt for stuff? I mean, not, not, not just like, okay, we can pay it back next week. I mean debt for stuff. How many ever know someone that, man, you go into debt to have the newest phone? They got to have the newest, the biggest, the brightest, and the best. They got to keep up with the Joneses, you know what I mean? That's how some people are. Stuff may have you. If you go into debt for the biggest, the brightest, and the best, you might want to examine your heart. I know people who will work to the bone to have stuff, and they'll do it at the cost of their families. I know people who will work hours and hours and hours to have stuff. It means they drive the nicest car in the neighborhood. But they're usually driving to go see their kids at their exes. I know people who have filled their lives with the very best in clothes and food and houses and cars, but they still can't find fulfillment because they have filled their lives with stuff that owns them. When we see the devastation of those who lose all the luxury in life, we see clearly where their value was determined. John sees this all happen and then hears a call to rejoice. Now this is interesting. He sees the destruction of this Babylon. And then the angel calls out to rejoice. It says this in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. 
the sound of the harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman shall, of, of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Boy, this is, this is kind of sad. The angel is pronouncing this to those who put so much value in stuff. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, say sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. This last scene in Revelation 18 is pretty graphic. There will be no more music, no more craftsmen, no more light for those who cling to this Babylon. I wonder, can we relate in any way to this Babylon today? There's an interesting word used in verse 23. I asked you to say it with me. For by your sorcery, say sorcery, all the nations are deceived. That word sorcery is interesting. It comes from the Greek the word is pharmakia. It means this. It means to prepare drugs. Pharmakia means to prepare drugs. It's where we get the word pharmacy from. What it means is this. The lure of this Babylon was addictive. The lure of stuff. The lure of things. Not that things are inherently evil. Not that materials are inherently bad. The Bible speaks a lot about gold and silver in the positive light. But it's not a matter of whether or not you have the stuff, but does the stuff have you? We aren't calling for you to sell everything and live in poverty. Amen? I mean, if you want to have a garage sale and sell it cheap, let me know. We're talking about those who have, taken in, who have been taken in by it. We're talking about those who have been devastated by it. We're talking about those who have clearly abused it. We can see clearly that our faith and our trust should not be in stuff or things or stocks or gold or how healthy our bank account is. Our faith should only and fully be in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is where our faith should be. That is where our hope should be. Next week, we only have four chapters left in the study of Revelation. And I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. We start in chapter 19, and we're going to get into the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to get into the victory. We're going to get into, man, so many cool things. Next, the next four chapters are going to lead us towards the end. And then I believe we'll be in Palm Sunday and the Easter season. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. 
Man, God is so good this morning. God is so good this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for those who are here. Lord, I pray that our lives would not be ruled by stuff. That we put our faith and trust fully in you. Not in materials, not in gold, not in silver, not in stocks, not in cars, not in houses. But we put our faith and trust where it belongs. We don't just have, we, we don't let stuff have us. We don't, we don't become addicted to those things. But Lord, let us become addicted to your presence. Let us become addicted to your glory. Let us become addicted to your word. Let us become addicted to your voice in our lives. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Lord, we give you glory this morning. We worship you. We exalt you. We're so thankful to be back here together as family. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, who are watching online, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give us rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We miss you. Hey, listen. This Wednesday night at 6.30 is our Wednesday night classes starting up Evangelism 101 with Tim Thiesfeld. Be there. It's going to be good. It's exciting. We're glad to be started back up. That was the one announcement I missed. I'm glad I got to it. So with that said, God bless you guys. We love you, and we'll see you next week.